Father, I thank you for everybody here. They are one prayer away from having their life changed, their eternity changed, their past changed. One prayer away. I thank you, God, that um, you have preserved us, uh, not just physically and medically and uh, Lord, emotionally and the, the difficulties of the past 12, 13 months, but spiritually, Lord, you have really sanctified and now you're energizing us for the privilege of being part of the global return of the church. Thank you for the privilege of gathering. Um, Father, I, nor the band, nor volunteers have any ability to heal the human heart. Too much going on in there. You do. You can. You might do it through a song or through a sentence, through a prayer. But it's going to be you that does it. So come, God, breathe life, the eternal life of God from your lungs into our lungs, from your blood into our blood. We want to be supernaturally touched. We want to touch today the hand of God, the heart of God. We want to be completely embraced by heaven, the hug, the faithfulness, the loving kindness of Jesus. So here we are, speak, no matter what, no matter what you say, if it's true, by God's grace it will be, we open our mouths and say, fill us with truth. And may truth be broadcast out to a world that's rejecting it, but needs it. Lord, may, may the church ever, ever, ever be committed to truth the truth of Christ. Around the world, bless those who preach the truth, and may many come and be saved. It is in the name of Jesus, the Savior, the King, the Lord Almighty, that we pray. Amen. As we said at the end of last week's message, the most important day of your life is when you say yes to God. Prior to saying yes to God, you're just sort of swimming in a kiddie pool, accomplishing your own personal goals, maybe having some degree of success, but primarily you are disconnected from the God who has made you. You're swimming in a kiddie pool at the beach, and over the dunes are the Atlantic Ocean, and you're choosing the pool for the ocean. In Isaiah chapter 6, a prophet in one day traded the kiddie pool to jumping in the Atlantic Ocean of the glory of God and for the first time in his life, his purpose came about when he said yes to God. Just in case you weren't here, this is how it looked in real time. Isaiah was in church. He said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. He was the king. That so frightened him that he thought God was going to reject him. Woe to me, I'm ruined, for my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. And to that prophet, uh, frightened prophet, an angel said, the greatest words can be spoken to any man. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now, it's precisely at this point in the story that God basically asked Isaiah from this point on, do you want what I want for you? And do you want what I want for the world? And this is how it went down that day in the temple. Isaiah 6, 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. 
The RWS translation, Richard Walden Smith, the RWS translation of that is, I say yes to God. The most important words can ever come out of your mouth, I say yes to God. The reason why that phrase is yes to God, the reason why I, I, I changed that to yes to God is because it has connected me for 25 years with one of my best friends in the world, Joseph Paul, in India, the director of your uh, orphanage at El Shaddai in Chennai. He's a courageous evangelist. It's an encouraging voice to many pastors. God bound us together way before that picture, and uh, he bound us together back in 1996. We worked together in Hyderabad on a project, and by God's grace, he's been opening many doors for Joseph and me since those, uh, that, those initial two weeks together in Hyderabad. And I love the way Joseph said that. He even said it to me this week on the phone. He said, the blessings have come because you said yes to God, and I said yes to God, and Hope Point has said yes to God. And because some of you are new, I always want to retell the story of what, is, what happened because Joseph said yes to God. You have these <clears throat> scores of children over the past 25 years have been taken care of in the El Shaddai Children's Home uh, there in Chennai. Because you said yes to God, these children have a home, a school, eat, and they're knowing of the Savior. Also, there's a church now on the El Shaddai campus for the local villagers to hear the truth of Christ, which is remarkable in the midst of a Hindu culture. They also now have a home for the aged who are just as vulnerable as the orphans that are young in India. They're cast out often at trash piles. And El Shaddai is also home to a training center for local pastors, and they are not only helped to in their courage to stand fast in their Hindu villages, but also they're also given many, many times physical supplies such as food. Now, this is not a, uh, a great picture here, but I do want to let you know what you're saying yes to God did just a couple weeks ago. Um, um, the local news media, uh, because of the pandemic, uh, they had shut down people from working in India and when you work, can't work in India, it's not like the government in the States is going to come feed you. You just don't have any money if you're poor. And so the local media got word that El Shaddai, uh, the children's home, had bought just hundreds and hundreds of bags of extra rice because of extra money you sent. And they fed uh, hundreds of villagers. These are Hindus. And came, and the local Hindu television came and reported it because you said yes to God. It's unbelievable what can happen when you say yes to God. But the reason I tell you this story is so you'll just remember that saying yes to God is not something you do once, you do it over and over again because the trials and temptations of this world, even today for some of you, are probably saying, I don't want to say yes to God anymore. So that happened for Joseph Paul in 2011. He had been married eight years when the Lord uh, decided that he would ordain uh, the last breath to leave Joseph Paul's wife, Lydia. She died in October of 2011. I went there six weeks after her, her death to just sit with Joseph and to grieve with him and to mourn with him. And he told me, Pastor, I don't know how I can ever do ministry without her. But I, this is after day four of us being together. He said, but before you leave, I just want to tell you that today again I say yes to God. 
And I say that because I want to let you know that traumas can sometimes cause you to wonder whether or not you're going to keep saying yes to God. Isaiah experienced one of those. As soon as he said yes to God, the Lord told him what the yes was. God said, now go, this is his preaching ministry. God said, this is right after Isaiah said, here am I, send me. This is what he was being sent to. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. God sent Isaiah to preach truth to a culture that hated truth. And the result of his preaching would be an increased hardening of their hearts. The more he preached, the more they wanted sin. In other words, the result of his ministry that would be a culture that increased their rebellion against God. So you're not surprised once Isaiah found out what he had said yes to, said, uh, how long am I going to do this? You know, sort of what we did at the beginning of the pandemic. This lasted maybe, maybe a couple months. A couple months. I was told the Lord, well, maybe, you know, is, am I going to preach to a hostile culture like a year? And God answered. Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Until the houses are left de deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. I'll spare you the chronology of the details and figuring out exactly how long that answer is. You might be bored with the dates. Let me just say that equals 42 years of ministry. From the time he started preaching to the time that the Babylonian army came in and burned the temple down and destroyed the walls and deported the people 900 miles away. It was 42 years that Isaiah had preached for the people to come back to God. So what I want to do today is to ask the question, what do you do when your assignment is to live and witness in a world that's hostile to the gospel? Increasingly so. And the second question I want to answer is, how do you maintain faithfulness when your assignment is to preach in a world that is hostile? So question number one, what, <laughs> what not to do is, what not to do is never change the message. There's only one thing that needs to change in this culture, and that's the heart of man. This is how Jeremiah described the heart of man. It is deceitful above all things. That is, you cannot find anything worse in the world than what's in the heart of man. The greatest problem in society today is the sin in our own heart. And until we admit that, Jeremiah says there is no cure. Until you admit the greatest problem in society is my heart. A rebellious culture finds that message offensive. And churches overwhelmed by the pressure of culture to be quiet, for the church to be quiet, no longer teach portions of the Bible that the cancel culture may find offensive. We live in a generation that wants a new picture of God. And therefore, we're surrounded by communicators, evangelical celebrities, who are doing everything they can to be new. Do you know what the Bible, 
Do you know what the Bible calls people who are new? Heretics. The Bible is never calling you to be new. The Bible is calling you to be true. The new people or the new message that people want to hear, it's not really new. It just comes with increasing intensity, so it feels new, but it's always been around. But this is what the culture wants to hear, that man is not that bad. His problem is a bad culture around him that do bad things to him. Jeremiah says the problem is you. Your heart is the problem. C.S. Lewis says it like this, there is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to him and bad when it turns from him. Our message is always the same. God is holy, God is good, his wisdom is perfect, and therefore every part of his design is right, always. He is worthy of your repentance, your worship, your devotion. Sin will never satisfy you. It will always dishonor God. He's willing to forgive anyone of anything, but he'll never change his demands. You confess your sin and come through Christ. It's very important that you get this or you're going to cave to the demands of the culture to say something new. Isaiah's message was not rejected because he said something wrong. Isaiah's message was rejected because his culture hated truth. The reason that we know that it was not Isaiah's fault is because Jesus quoted Isaiah when he was describing why people in his day rejected him as Messiah. Matthew 13 Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled in these people. This is 700 years later, the arrival of Christ. For this people's heart has become, has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes. Otherwise, if they hadn't done that, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn back, and I would cure them. That's what he wants to do. Jesus came not to judge, but to cure, to cleanse, to save. But he can never cure, cleanse, save anybody who hates truth. Truth is an interesting thing. To someone who's exhausted and by God's grace has that sense of ashamed of their sin, truth is an amazingly wonderful thing. It draws somebody to God, it leads them back to God, it makes their heart soft. It's like you, you take a stick of butter and you put it outside and the sun melts it. You, you take a, a lump of clay and you put it outside and the sun hardens it. And it's not the sun's fault that one is soft and one is hard. It is the fault of the material. The sun never changes. If a speeding motorist runs from a cop, when the officer turns his lights on, is the police officer wrong? No. The fault lies with the one who would not deal with his error when truth flashed in his rearview mirror. So it's like the person who says, to, I don't go to church now because my parents made me go as a child. This is what they're saying. My heart is hard because my parents tried to make it soft. No, their heart is hard because they hate light. 
and love darkness. John 3, 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. When a heart hates truth, truth spoken to that heart will harden that heart. But it's not the fault of the truth. It's the fault of the hard heart that rejects it. Since it is truth that Jesus says leads to the cure, then obviously Satan is going to do everything he can to stop people from hearing or to stop us from speaking the truth. 24 hours a day, Satan is trying to keep the church from speaking truth. If you want to stamp one thing over 2020, it was Satan's attempt to shut down the church so that truth would stop being spoken in culture. That's the mission of Satan 24-7 to always work against the church. Lest anybody be confused, do you ever think Satan gets up and says, today I think I'm going to help the church? Never. He's always seeking to hurt the church and to silence, cancel the church. Sometimes he does it through distraction. This is where the world says this. You can't preach like this. You can't preach the gospel. You can't sing these songs. you got to do something. You need to be out there solving the problems of society. And if you're not solving the problems of society, and if you're not joining, in a, joining us in our agenda for these specific things that we regard as priority in society, if, you're not, if you don't join us in the world, we're not coming. So it's the world saying, we're going to set the agenda and the church gets distracted, focused on some other mission. Sometimes, not just distraction, just sometimes through intimidation. When the world says, as they might with a message like this, you're the problem. The way that you say things, the things you teach on Isaiah 6. It was exciting. The first two weeks, holy, 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 your sin is forgiven. Then you start preaching about a hardened culture. And it is, your preaching turns people off. So the world says to us, you can't teach all of the Bible. You can't teach the parts of the Bible where God says marriage is sacred and beautiful and it's between a man and a woman for a lifetime. And if anybody ever rebels against that, they're, re they're rebelling against the design of God. The world says you can't say that God is the creator who's decided at birth what gender you are, either a boy or a girl. The world says you can't say that a baby has a right to live because it's God's baby. You have to say that a woman has the right to bring the life of a child to an end. You need to start preaching more on love, loving your neighbor because the things that you're saying are turning the world off. That's Isaiah 6. They're rejecting God, but actually they're rejecting, they're rejecting Isaiah, but actually they're reject, rejecting truth. And the sad thing is there's increasing numbers of people that are becoming so intimidated by this pressure. This pressure of being rejected or being canceled. They say, okay, I will stop speaking the truth. I've had a number of conversations with people 
over the past month where they say this is a very real force in my life. Even today, or even this week, a news article said half of the people who work at the New York Times said they are afraid if they speak truth, they will be fired. But truth is the only way back for a culture. So if we stop speaking truth, no one will ever come back to God. Truth is the only way back. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul shows a step-by-step process how a culture becomes no more, how it disintegrates, and it all starts with the rejection of the truth. Romans 1.25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. The goal of a godless culture is to remove truth and fill that hole with lies. When a culture departs from God, it will be consumed with teaching lies. Right now we're seeing that in increasing zeal in academic settings, social media, corporations, and even church celebrities. A pastor recently said the most loving thing, it's very interesting when you start a sentence like that, the most loving thing that he can do in his church is to make sure that everyone feels included. I would have thought that the most loving thing a pastor could do is tell someone the truth about God so they can meet him. If you were on a cruise ship and you were headed out And there was a weatherman on that cruise ship that knew that the ship was headed to a Category 4 fatal hurricane for that ship. Would you want him to speak about that or would you want him to be quiet so that you could be on on board that ship and belong? That's what that pastor was saying. In order to love people so they'll feel like they belong, I have to withhold truth. And yet the ship is headed toward an eternal storm of separation from God. Paul continues to describe this category for a hurricane in Romans 1. Because of this rejection of truth, God gave them over to shameful lust, out of control society morally. This gave them over. This is the same language we see in Isaiah 6. God gave the people of Jerusalem. He gave them over to Babylon. Gave them over to destruction. This is, a, this is the wrath of God by his passive action. I'm giving you over to that which you want, which will lead to disintegration. All of this is because, again, a rejection of truth. Just, the, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are God-haters. Recently, a leading evangel- evangelical celebrity, and I read the article, just decided to just leave most of it out. It's just too much you to hear, but he was invited uh, to go teach to, to, to what I believe is the most God-denying church, God-denying church in America. And to that church, the theme of his message was, how can God bring calm to our chaos? 
He's preaching in a God-denying church, and he preaches on what a great opportunity he could have told them. How, God, how can God bring calm to our chaos? Stop hating God. Stop hating truth. But he lost his confidence in God. He lost his confidence in the ability of truth to save. And he substituted it with his own wisdom. Now, this is happening to so many Christians in our society. They're ashamed of the truth and they're, they're, they're afraid of being silenced and canceled. And so they, they've lost confidence to speak the truth. And this has been going on since the time of Christ. You remember in um, Matthew 16 when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, I know that one. You're the Christ, the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God. And Peter, Peter, Jesus said to Peter, heaven reveal that to you, Peter. And shortly after that great confession, Jesus said, and by the way, this Christ, this Son of the living God, is going to the cross to die. I mean, it's not more than four sentences later. And Peter said, Peter took him aside and said, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. It's too much truth for Peter. No, this can't be the truth, therefore I'm going to change it. Look at what Jesus, he just affirmed Peter. Now with equal intensity, he rebukes him. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So Jesus is telling Peter, you are now believing that your human wisdom is better than God's plan for my life. You're trying to figure this out in a way that everybody, everything will stay calm and everyone will be safe. You do not have in your mind the the concerns of God, but rather what man is talking about. It's so easy, even for the Apostle Peter, to fall into that category of trying to say something that will be less abrasive than truth. And look, what, look where this comes from always, that type of thinking. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not speak the truth today on February 21st it really was, you know, a big battle for me this week on, you know, charge ahead. Guess where that temptation comes from? To not, to not live the truth out, not speak it in your school, your workplace, not speak it, in, obviously, in church. That's Satan. That's Satan telling you there is an easier way. He will always tell you that there is an easier way. So earlier in the message, I asked you two questions, and we were going to look in the text. What do you do when you're in a hostile culture that, doesn't, that hates truth? And we had the answer with that is never stop telling the truth. And the second question I want to answer is how do you maintain faithfulness in that type of culture? There's two answers to that. Number one, remember who you said yes to. You know, here am I, send me, remember that? You didn't say yes to the world accepting you. You didn't say yes to comfort and ease. You didn't say yes to a project that would be quick and easy and something that you could, you know, that would even make sense to you. You said yes to him. 
the King, the Lord Almighty. And it's very important. You understand, this is, you said yes to this God. This is who he always is. This is glorious. When you said yes, this is who God always is. Always look at, he is high and exalted. You need to always remember, man will not always be high and exhausted, exalted, only for a moment. Look what Isaiah preached earlier in his, in his book. This is, this is the future of man. Isaiah 2. Verse 10, go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted in the world, and they will be humbled. So remember who you said yes to, the God who is always going to be exalted in the end. And the God on whose throne you will one day sit if you will just be loyal to him. Everything else is laid low. All truth haters silenced. Remember who you said yes to. This is the outcome for every arrogant man, woman, student, executive, politician, celebrity, billionaire, general, and army that rebels against the truth of God, laid low. Everything in the world right now is upside down. Truth is hated. Lies are loved. And you may lose, right? In this world, you may lose if you love truth. And in this world... Those who love lies may win. But on that day, when you stand before the Lord, everything gets flipped again. And the one who is exalted on high will invite you to sit on his exalted throne with him. Number two, how do you stay faithful in this culture? You need to know that God will never let your witness be wasted. Some will eventually believe. <sighs> This is how Isaiah's sermon finished in chapter 6. This, I mean, God's telling Isaiah how it's going to play out. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaves, oak, they leave stumps when they are cut down. So as those two trees leave stumps when they are cut down so the holy seed will be the stump in the land again too much to for a lot of talk about that tonight let me just tell you yes after 42 years of preaching jerusalem would be laid low they would fall taken off into captivity but a tenth of the people would one day return and rebuild the city they spent 70 years in captivity, and one day they came back and became a nation again. What in the world, after living 70 years away from your homeland, what gave them the motivation to come back and become a nation again? The sermons of Isaiah. They remembered in captivity, we are here because we hated truth. We are here because of the judgment of God that Isaiah warned us about. 
Oh, God is the one we should return to. And they came back to Jerusalem and it became a nation again because of Isaiah's sermons. The Jews would not only become a nation again, but they would become a nation that would be home to the Savior of the world. That's what Isaiah means at the end of of verse 13 when it says, The seed will be a stump in the land. This is not the only time in the book of Isaiah he talks about that stump that's coming and will not die. He says it again in Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is the greatest king that ever lived in Israel was David. His father was named Jesse. So this is just simply talking about out of David's family will come this growing shoot, this growing new tree out of this stump that looked like it was no more. So Isaiah talks about this stump and refers to this stump. And look, this stump is Jesus Christ. Verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. So Israel comes back from captivity. They would have never been motivated to come back and be a nation again. They come back, they return as a nation, and out of that nation comes the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that the stump of Isaiah 11 is Jesus? Fortunately, the New Testament tells us. John chapter 12, verse 41, Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about him. Do you know who really was on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6? Our Lord Jesus Christ. And Isaiah saw him. And the New Testament says he did. You know what that tells me? Isaiah preached for 42 years and nobody listened. But there was somebody listening, Jesus He didn't let the nation die, brought them back, resettled them in Jerusalem, rebuilt the walls, and then he came and walked into the temple, also rebuilt, and gave his life on a cross outside of that city for anybody who would believe their sins would be forgiven and they would become sons and daughters of God. I'm just telling you, Isaiah had no idea that this would come about. When he was preaching those messages for 42 years, he couldn't figure out there was any good that was coming out of that preaching. And not one word from his mouth was ever wasted. God was simply operating on a different timetable. Last Sunday at El Shaddai Children's Home, a very special thing happened. While the church was meeting on the campus and they're regathering also like we're regathering, A visitor walked in, a first-time guest. We love first-time guests. Hopefully, we emphasize that through Melanie's introduction. We love first-time guests because it's just a a miracle that you found the church. A visitor walked in. He lived about a half mile away in some high-rise apartments that you can see from El Shaddai. This picture was taken a long time ago when they were doing some work on the the side of, uh, of of the main dormitory. But those high rises in the Back there, very important to me, because I told you, Joseph's wife died in 2011. I went there six weeks after her death to try to listen, grieve, comfort. But in the middle of that, our four days together, 
I wanted to do something that would bring some relief or some pleasure to Joseph. These were just being built. The high rises were just being built. I said, Joseph, let's go over there and <clears throat> suggest to those people that they let us tour this construction project just in case I ever want to buy one of the apartments. <laughs> let's just go have fun and see if we can get in that building. Lo and behold, they did. And they said, yes, you can see one of the, you know, the, the farther along models on uh, just take the elevator up to the 24th floor. And when we got to the 24th floor and we looked out, uh, oh, that's me. That's, that's me saying, I think I might be interested in this. <laughs> oh, we looked out the window and Joseph gasped. And it was the first time in his life he had ever seen El Shaddai from above. The first time he'd ever seen the building, first time he'd ever seen the, the land. It was obviously an awareness that God can see far more than we can from his perspective. And as we looked out that balcony, it just at the same time we were thinking about Lydia's death had just ha happened six weeks before. And it just, we just began to talk about God can see a lot more about what's going on with her death than we can because of his vantage point, because he is the God of the 24th floor. Now fast forward to last Sunday, as Joseph spoke with his visitor that came to the church, he said, I've been thinking about coming to your church. He said, I've, I live across the street in the high rises. I've been thinking about coming for some time. And Joseph said, well, how long have you lived there? He said, seven years. And he said, and I, every night I see your, your cross on, from, my, from my room, I see your cross on the, on the top of the church at El Shaddai. He said, I've noticed sometimes the cross is not burning and the cross is not light. He said, what's, what's going on? And he said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, sometimes the children forget to flip the switch and the cross is not on at night. And he said, please don't ever let that happen again. As the man prepared to leave, Joseph asked him, he said, by the way, which flat, which apartment was his? He, he said, I live on the 24th floor. Friends, don't ever let the light of the cross go out. Never be ashamed of the truth. Never stop speaking. You serve Jesus the King, the Lord Almighty. You serve the God of the 24th floor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that today you are looking over all of history and things that are looking pretty bad right now, things that look like they're going in the wrong direction. Lord, you're using them and you're controlling them and you're going to make all things right and there's going to be a day, God, we rejoice when you're exalted and uh, all the boast of evil will be brought low and evil will run from you and will be destroyed by you. And Lord, this is possible because you're the God of the 24th floor. You're the sovereign God who oversees all of history and all time, matter, space, and energy report to you. All people and civilization report to you. You're the God of the 24th floor. And Father, we're like Isaiah. We were once guilty and you cleansed us and took away our sin. And now we get to sit on the 24th floor with you. We get to sit on the throne of God with you forever. So, Lord, it's all gain for us, and so it's okay if in this culture we lose. If it's in this culture we are rejected, it's okay if in this culture we're canceled. But, Lord, it's not okay if we stop speaking. It's not okay if we stop declaring. It's not okay if we 
let the light of the cross go out because then those in the darkness will never know how to find their way home, their way to God, their way to forgiveness, their way to salvation. So God, I ask you now for a new power, a new boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit that we would rejoice, would not be ashamed. We would rejoice that we've been entrusted with this message to go to a hostile culture and to speak truth. And God, by your grace, to speak it in love, but to speak it with assurance and certainty, without apology. Oh, Father in heaven, send us out no matter what, knowing that none of our words for Jesus will ever be wasted. Some will believe, and you will always hear, and you will always reward In Christ's name I pray, amen.